we've been looking at the book of Proverbs for a number of weeks now, but somehow it didn't seem that preaching as I had intended on parenting this morning was going to quite cut it. So we're going to go in a different direction, and I want to invite you to take your Bibles or your mobile devices and turn with me to three scriptures. One is Paul's letter to the church at Rome, chapter 5, and then we'll look at uh, James chapter 1, and then we will turn to one book over and go to 1 Peter chapter 1. And we're going to talk a little bit this morning about what does it mean to get to the other side of pain? What does it mean to get to the other side of pain? And as I read all three of these texts, I want you to notice uh, something about them. Paul is not writing to an individual. He's writing to the church. He's writing to all of God's people. And when James and First Peter are writing their words, they're, they're using the plural you, not just you in the singular fashion. So keep in mind that, that this is something that's addressed to the church, to God's people. And as I read it, I'd like to kind of pause and break down some of this scripture as we go through it together. So let's start with Romans chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore, since we have been justified, or since we have been made right through faith, we, see that plural there? We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. In the good times and in the bad times, the thing that holds you up, the thing that holds me up, we always are standing on God's grace. And it's the access door of our faith and confidence in Him that, that gives us that grace to stand on. And we rejoice. We rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also rejoice in our suffering. Now, that word rejoice, your translation may have boast or glory, potentially. We boast, we glory, we rejoice in our sufferings. And that word could be translated uh, distress or affliction or trouble. So we boast, we rejoice in our sufferings, our distress, our afflictions, because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Now, perseverance is a patient waiting for something to come. It's, it's a hanging in there. It's an enduring. So we know that our suffering produces perseverance, and perseverance, character. Character is that thing that tries you and tests you and makes you true. That's your character. So perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not disappoint us because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he has given us. And then turn over to James chapter 1 and we have some more words about joy or rejoicing. The writer of James says in verse 2, Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials or afflictions or testings of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. There's that word again, that patient waiting for something. 
perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. And then turn one additional book over to 1 Peter chapter 1, and we read these words beginning with verse 3. Praise be to the God, or blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope. There's that word hope again. How do we get that living hope? The writer tells us, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade, kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded or protected or guarded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. That's referring to the second coming of Christ. In this, you greatly, here we got that word again, you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief and all kinds of trials. These have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Sisters and brothers in Christ, this is the word of the Lord, and together let us say, thanks be to God. Well, it has been a tough week for all of us, hasn't it? It's been a tough week following the death of our beloved Minister of Media and Arts and and beloved friend, Steve Harding. It's been a tough week. You know, I remember 19 years ago that it was a tough week a few months down the road, 19 years ago, for the former News and Observer columnist, Dennis Rogers. I don't know if any of you ever remember the columnist, Dennis Rogers, but about almost 19 years ago, his daughter, Melanie Dale Rogers Van Leuven, was killed in a car accident driving to her job as a public school teacher in New Hanover County. Understandably, for a good number of weeks into the end of December and on into January, Dennis Rogers was silent. We didn't read any of his columns. And then he broke his silence one day with a column, and he entitled it, A Love Letter to My Daughter. And these are the words that he wrote. I I went back and I found it, and, and he concluded his column in this way. He writes... I didn't get a chance to tell Melanie goodbye that day. I didn't get a chance to tell her how proud I was of her, how as a teacher she made the world a better place, one child at a time. I didn't get a chance to tell her that she and her sister were my proudest achievements. So now I must say, as I did when she was my shy little Melanie, in print, and for all the world to see, in prayerful hope that she will know how much her daddy loves her, 
and misses her. So, you know, I think back about 19 years ago about what Dennis Rogers went through. I think about the intervening 19 years and all perhaps that you've been through in your life. I think about the last week and all that we've been through as a congregation and the Harding family has been through. And then I read the text this morning from Paul that says, But we rejoice in our sufferings. Really? Paul? Rejoice? And then I get over to James, and he writes, Count it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Count it real joy? And then I get to Peter. In this, you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while you have to suffer grief and all kinds of trials. Does Paul, along with the writers of James and 1 Peter, really mean for us to rejoice in the event of the past week of our beloved friend's death? Are these writers ultimately suggesting to us that we ought to rejoice when death invades our ranks? Are these writers suggesting that we ought to be happy and celebrate and rejoice when we have a family member or a friend who's battling cancer? Are these writers suggesting that we ought to rejoice and celebrate when traumatic job changes come our way or perhaps we're faced with a geographical move that we don't want to make? Are these writers suggesting that when financial troubles or other stressors take their toll in our lives, we ought to celebrate, rejoice, and be happy? Are these writers suggesting that when marriages and falling and marriages and families fall apart, we ought to rejoice? Are they suggesting to us that when I flunk a class or I don't get into the program or the college choice that I wish I had, I ought to celebrate and be happy? Are they telling us that when plane crashes occur and terrorist bombings take place and mass shootings happen again or natural disasters wreak havoc in our personal and collective lives, we ought to rejoice and celebrate? You know, for me, these texts kick, kick up those, those classic why questions. Why does a loving God allow the evil and the suffering, the grief and the pain in our world? And clearly, it, it does seem that a lot of the suffering and the pain and the grief that we experience is a function of freedom of choice on some levels that God gives us from the beginning of creation. He, he gives us choices, and sometimes we make decisions that bring pain and suffering and grief on ourselves and on other people. Freedom of choice maybe is a good answer. And from God's end of things, I've just never thought that God was someone who pushes a button and allows bad things to a good person. I don't believe for a moment the sentiment that was expressed in November of 1978 at the visitation from my grandfather on a Tuesday evening following his death on a Monday. Apparently his siblings had put together a wreath and there was some type of graphic of a telephone on the wreath. wreath and I'll still remember there was a red ribbon and apparently my grandfather's siblings had instructed the florist to write on that red ribbon, 
God called brother home. And that made me angry in 1978, and it makes me angry today to think about a loving God who decided to dial up my granddaddy's number and call him home. I think what called him home was that he'd spent a lifetime eating good old country cooking in fatback, in grease. And he didn't exercise except to work on the farm, which was good exercise, and he'd smoked some in his life, and the stroke that he had that killed him, I think that's what called him home. I don't believe God pushed a button on that Monday in November of 1978, the week of Thanksgiving, and I don't think that God dialed up Steve Harding's number on this past Monday either. We don't know why a loving God permits evil and pain and grief and suffering, but it seems that there's something about this fragile and fallen and broken world, this Genesis 3 world in which we live in, in which a loving God, it seems, somehow permits bad things to happen to good people. It seems that Genesis 3, fallen, fragile, broken world, is operative. So can we trust? Can we trust Paul's affirmation in Romans 8, 28 that we know that in all things God works together for good for those who love God, who are called according to his purposes? The text, the verse doesn't read, for we know that, in all, that all things are good. It says, for we know that in all things God works for good. So can we find some good in this moment? You know, the three texts that we read this morning all affirm that pain, suffering, trials, though not sent by God, can be used, can potentially be used for our good. Romans 5 states that suffering produces perseverance, which in turn produces character, that tried and true and tested part of who we are, which births hope in us. James 1 basically says the same thing. Trials develop our perseverance. Why? The text reads, so that you may be mature and complete, lacking in nothing. The text in 1 Peter 1 tells us that God uses our suffering and our pain to refine our faith as gold is purified and tested for its authenticity by fire. Unfortunately, Lord knows I wish it were different. But unfortunately, it does seem that often it's our pain and our troubles and our grief that shapes us and molds us as we grow in life to become the persons that God intends for us to be. You know, the fact is, we we couldn't develop and grow intellectually and mentally by avoiding reading and studying and thinking. It'd be really nice if you could move through the educational process and not have to think, wouldn't it? It'd be really nice if you could move through the educational process and never have to read a book or a journal article in your entire life. It would be really nice if you could move through the educational process and not have to be critical in your reflection and your thinking. And every one of us in this room have had some form of exposure to 
education. And you and I both know that being in school sometimes is painful, isn't it? it it's painful studying for the test. It's painful writing the term paper. You can't grow mentally and intellectually by avoiding the pain and the suffering of going to school and thinking and writing and reading. It would be great if you could have a well-toned body and avoid exercise. Wouldn't that be a wonderful gift? I'm in the best shape of my life and I've never exercised a day in my life. Wouldn't that be great if we could say that? And every one of us in this room knows that at times exercise is painful. And Lord knows I can't wait till the fall gets here and the humidity leaves. Because I hate exercising and playing tennis and walking and biking in this high humidity weather. It is painful. I don't know if you like it, but I don't like the high humidity. It's painful exercising, but it's good for your body. And you know, wouldn't it be great if we could earn a living and not have to show up for work? Wouldn't that be a wonderful gift? Just the money flows in and you don't have to work, and yet we all know that work at times can be painful. Really. I mean, I mean physically it's demanding. Mentally and emotionally, it, it just it rips you apart at times. Work is painful. And folks, I, I'm sorry to have to tell you this, but it's equally true. That spiritually, in order to be all that God created you and me to be, in order to deepen our trust and our confidence in God, in order to develop a character in us that looks like, acts like, sounds like, and has the heart of Jesus, sometimes we've got to walk, even though we don't want to, through the pathway of pain and suffering. I'll be the first to tell you, and I bet some of you could echo what I'm about to tell you, I'll be the first to tell you that while never wishing that I had to go through two surgeries last year, and while never, ever again wanting to occupy a hospital bed for the rest of my life, I'm going to tell you what, I'm a better person. I'm a better pastor. I believe I'm a better follower after Jesus because of those experiences of suffering and pain that I went through. I don't know how it is for you, but when I go through those tough times, my prayer life always deepens. Does yours? My Bible reading always flourishes. Does yours? And my confidence in Jesus always grows when I go through those difficult times because I'm forced to depend on his strength and his trust and his power even though the inadequacy of mine is so apparent. As 1 Peter 1.5 says, we through faith are shielded by God's power. We need to remember that when we walk through these times of suffering and pain and grief and heartache, that there's a shield around us, that we are guarded and protected in this life by God's power until Jesus returns again. So I want you to know that's why I have hope. You know, Paul writes in Romans that suffering produces perseverance, uh, patient waiting for, 
and endurance. Suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance produces character, that tried and true and tested part of who we are. And that character produces hope. And Paul says, and hope does not disappoint us. So I want you to know this morning that I've got some hope. I've got some hope that God can bring some good out of a sad and painful time in our life. I am hopeful that maybe it will remind us once again of how important it is to be in community with each other. How important it is that we show up, not just at a, at a time of a tragedy, and then move on with the rest of our life in the interim as if we don't need God or we don't need each other. I don't think I have to tell you, but in case you do need to hear this word and you've not heard it before, attendance patterns in churches of all denominations, of all sizes, of all locations are shifting and changing, and they're changing not for the good. They are changing not for the good. The people who used to show up three and four times a week now come one or two, three or four times a month, used to come once, now come once or twice a month. And those folks who used to come once or twice a month are now showing up once every six weeks. And the folks who used to show up once every six weeks come three or four times a year. And we live in an age in which you can pull off a sermon or a worship service off of another church's website, uh, go to their archives, you can live stream a service, and I contend to you this morning that there is something to be said about sitting in a pew next to flesh and blood with a person who has a beat, beating heart and a mind that's at work who can hold your hand or hug you or say, I love you and I care about you. You don't get that on your computer. You don't get it on your computer. There is something to be said about being here as Oakmont, as God's people on a regular basis, and we have let that slide. Maybe one of the good things that can come is that we'll be reminded that one of our core values that we say is a part of who our DNA is as Oakmont, being in community, being in meaningful and deep relationships with each other, maybe that really will start to count. And we'll be reminded that we need each other. And we need to worship with each other on a regular basis. The writer of Hebrews warns us about not abandoning our coming together for worship. Maybe one of the good things that will come out of Steve's death is that we'll be reminded to give each other our flowers before we die. That we'll be reminded that people need to hear those words of love and affirmation while they're still alive to hear them. I, I couldn't help but wonder on Wednesday night when we gathered for our service of remembrance, and I appreciate and I celebrate all the words that was said about how Steve had impacted their life, but not just for Steve, but for anybody. I couldn't help but wonder, how many times do we say those words to people in our families, our friends, our work colleagues, people in the life of this church, our next door neighbors? How many times 
do we not say those words of love and endearment and affirmation. This is what you mean to me. How many times do we let that go? And then we give them their flowers after they die. Maybe this will be a wake-up call to remind us that life is not promised the next day and that we should give people their flowers before they die. And maybe some of the good that will come from this tragic death is that maybe we'll be reminded that we all come from many different perspectives. And those perspectives, and you just name the issue, fill in the blank, and those perspectives potentially can serve to divide us on many multiple matters. When the truth is, and the fact is, that what unites us is far more stronger and significant than what could ever possibly divide us. That it's the cross, it's the resurrection, it's the life and ministry of Jesus, it's his ascension, it's his promise coming again. Those are the core things that unite us. And we shouldn't wait until an illness, we shouldn't wait until a death, we shouldn't wait until another tragedy comes our way to remind us that we need to come together and we need to stay together. And these other things that potentially could divide us, really, when you get down to it, it's not that important. Maybe that's some of the good that can come. But you know, life isn't always fair, is it? That you've had some times in your life when you've looked at what has happened and you've said, that wasn't fair. Steve's death wasn't fair. And you know, it's not just been a tough week, but really for our church family, it's been a tough few years. We've had a lot of things that have kicked up grief and sadness for so many of us. So what is it that's on the other side of pain and grief? Well, 1 Peter 1.4 points us to the future and reminds us that we have an inheritance that cannot perish, spoil, or fade, kept in heaven for you. You know what an inheritance is, don't you? Somebody dies in your family, and you get an inheritance, potentially. We've got an inheritance. It's our faith and trust in Jesus, and the fulfillment and completion of that salvation is kept in heaven for us. That's on the other side of pain, eternal life. And Steve today is living into the other side of the pain that we know nothing about right now, but he is fully being embraced in that inheritance that can never spoil or fade or perish. And you know what? The other side of the pain includes the here and the now. Life and community together. Speaking words of love and gratitude and giving people their flowers before they die. Staying together as God's people, despite not always seeing things eye to eye on everything. I think all of those good things await us now and in the future on the other side of our pain. Let's pray together. God, 
we need you. And Lord, we've rediscovered this week that we sure need each other. Lord, if, if a part of our body was cut off and missing forever, it, it would impact our sense of well-being and wholeness. And so, Lord, you know that when we're not with each other, it impacts our sense of well-being and wholeness. And you know that we have been impacted this week because our friend and brother in Christ, Steve Harding, his death does leave a hole in who we are. And so we thank you for the ways that you have sustained us, for the ways that you have been with us in our grief and our sorrow. And we pray that as we move ahead, that we will be reminded of that inheritance that doesn't perish or spoil or fade, that inheritance that's kept in heaven for all who follow your Son, in whose name we now pray, amen.